0: Well, love really matters. We grow best in an atmosphere of love. And in this passage, John, who is the great apostle of love, describes how we grow when we're drawn by the love of Jesus. Shakespeare spoke about the seven ages of man. John writes about just three ages, three ages and stages. Of Christian life and they're ages which are true of both boys and girls young men and women fathers and mothers despite John's language here they're not physical ages they're not chronological ages they're spiritual ages some of you in your 20s are already spiritual fathers and mothers some of us will know long-term Christians who, unfortunately, often seem more like spiritual children. And they're spiritual ages which, in John's eyes, are to be cherished equally. Each one of them is equally valuable to him. He celebrates each one of them because each one of them reveals another beautiful aspect of the person of Jesus Christ. And the first stage is living as a spiritual child. For John, this comes when we experience being forgiven for our sins and coming to know God as our Father as a result. So Jesus is our Saviour. The second is living as a spiritual young man or woman, overcoming the evil one, as John calls him, as we stand strong in the word of our Father. Jesus is our deliverer. And then the third is living as a spiritual father or mother, growing up in the knowledge of the Son of God who brings eternal life. Jesus is love, and he imparts to us, to each one of you, the father heart, the mother heart of God. And together, these ages, they speak of a love which is stronger than sin or evil or death, a love which holds us and a love in which we can flourish. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, do you want to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Do you want to grow up to be mature, as mature as it is possible to be in the Christian faith? Well, if you do, then John's word tonight is for you let's begin at the beginning and in the beginning we become John says spiritual children forgiven for our sins he writes I'm writing to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name because you know the father this stage is absolutely formative we need to come back here again and again and again in one sense we can never graduate beyond this point Jesus says, be as little children. The truths of this spiritual age as children, it's like the cradle which holds us. It's the foundation that we're never, never, never to forget. And John frames this stage as a triumph over sin. Now he's not talking primarily here about sin in terms of our personal misdemeanors, although they are an important dimension of sin. This isn't really anything to do with our culture's mantra of naughty but nice. John means sin as a fracture at the very heart of the human condition, and of which our personal sin is just a part. Singer Richard Butler and his band, The Psychedelic Furs, any fans? Yeah, one over here, describe it like this in their song Ash Wednesday. It might be broken and love lies murdered. It's all a mess and who's to blame? It's some of me and some of you all tied in knots and broken too. It's like this, I speak to somebody on my iPhone and where do the tin and the tungsten and the tantalum minerals in this iPhone come from? Well, they come from mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo where the civil wars raging over those minerals also include sexual violence against local women. Whose sin is this? Is this my sin? Is this Apple's sin? Is this the Western world's sin? How is the person who I'm speaking to on the phone complicit in this? It's some of me and some of you all tied in knots and broken too. Sin blinds us, it dulls us, it entangles us and we need to be released from the binding cords of sin. We need what John calls in the verses just before these ones tonight, we need an atoning sacrifice. And Simon began speaking about this last week, speaking about sin and Christ's atoning sacrifice and I want to just say a word or two more. Because in Old Testament times, an animal would be brought to the temple altar and it would be brought live and struggling as a sacrifice to atone for human sin. And sacrifice was a bloody business. No animal wanted to give up its life. It would often have to be bound to the horns of the altar. I remember being on a family holiday as a child. My dad had shelled out money for the whole family to go on a horse ride across a bit of countryside and down some country lanes. And we were coming back to the stables, and suddenly in a particular lane, at a particular spot, the horses started behaving oddly, getting very restless, and then suddenly they panicked, and they tried to bolt, and it was a real struggle to control them. They were totally terrified. And the person from the stables leading us apologized because of road works, we had to go down this country lane today and it was going to take us past the local abattoir. And the horses could literally smell the blood in the air. Now in the Old Testament, animal sacrifice was made to Yahweh to atone for the sins of the Israelite people and it made them clean. But in 1 Peter 1, Peter tells us that Jesus gave himself as a lamb without blemish or defect for us. It's now by his blood that we're saved. You see, the bullock or the goat had no choice in Old Testament times, but Jesus did. And yet he accepted to be bound for us. The horse that shied away from that abattoir, smelling blood, in Christ, walk straight in through the abattoir doors. And Jesus is your atoning sacrifice. He's my atoning sacrifice. By his stripes, we're healed. By his sins, we're forgiven. And John says this is the new birth that we enter. It's the threshold of this spiritual childhood that we're coming into. Forgiven, we come to know God the Father at a deeper and deeper level level the verb that John uses here for to know it means to know by personal experience we come to know God as we know a person but it can take a lifetime to really rest fully in the forgiveness of God to know God I sometimes find this a really long childhood indeed how about you Do you feel forgiven in yourself for every part of yourself? What do we need in this spiritual stage, this first one? Well, we need nourishment. Peter says in his letter, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We need family. We need protection. We need to grow in an atmosphere of love. And then we need fresh understanding of who we truly are and of what we're made for, what God is calling us to. One of the verbs, sorry, the words, the nouns that John uses for for child here, it's paideia, which means a child who's trained up, not just a wild, instinctual child. Now can you leapfrog the forgiveness of God and enter the Christian life a bit later on you know at a bit more of a mature stage absolutely not it's the foundation this is the foundation and knowing this you now become a disciple you become a disciple of Jesus in the greek the word that's used there it means a learner you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you become involved in ever-deepening commitments to him. And this phase, it's not your final destination because there's a further horizon, which is to grow into a spiritual young adult. Again, now don't think physical young adult, biological young adult, with John's talking about a different kind of time scheme here. But you see, if, you, if you're drawn by the love of Christ, you've got to keep on growing. That's what John is getting at. It's like this. The powerful sun draws the sunflower to grow and to shoot up. In the light of the blazing sun, the sunflower actually can't help do anything but grow. And the only thing that will impede its growth is either if the sun is blotted out or if infection strikes. And it's infection that can inhibit our growth in Christ. I mean, I can get stuck in spiritual childhood. And this happens in different ways. It can happen when I fall into denial about my sin. Or I cheat. I treat Jesus' sacrifice as cheap grace, just cheap grace, a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card, and I forget the cost. Or I get bogged down in self-condemnation. Or I just stay in over-dependency on God. It's easier that way than stepping into spiritual adulthood and taking responsibility. Or I fail to stay embedded in Christian community because actually accountability is a bit tough. Or I remain on spiritual milk instead of graduating onto what Hebrews 5 calls solid food. I can live in fear of the world instead of living courageously into the destiny that God has for me. Have you really received the forgiveness of God in the deepest places within you? Have you fully Come home. And if any of these infections I'm talking about, if they speak to you in some way, then just come later to the altar and receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you that the Spirit would kickstart new growth. But if we're ready to grow into John's next spiritual stage, then we become spiritual young men and women who, he says, are empowered to overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. I mean entering spiritual young adulthood it it is an exciting time. It's like entering physical adulthood when we no longer have to live under the canopy of childhood. It's a, a wonderful new moment but for the Christian it's not necessarily simple because we're now in Christ you're now in the kingdom and Jesus teaches us what that means it means that we live in a place of tension it means we live in the world but we're not of the world and we accompany Jesus in his struggles and he never promised us a life without troubles I find it fascinating that John, who, who you know, frankly, we sometimes write off as a kind of mushy-eyed youth, doughy-eyed at Jesus, giddy with love, wrapped in this title of beloved disciple, he defines the life of the spiritual young adult in these terms, in terms of the persistent threat of the evil one. There's nothing gooey here, there's nothing sentimental here. We have an enemy, John says. And he leaves us in no doubt about this figure's malevolent agency. He doesn't pay him undue attention, but he certainly doesn't ignore him either. Andrew Del Banco is a secular writer, and he writes this in his book called The Death of Satan. I believe that our culture is now in crisis because evil remains an inescapable experience for all of us while we no longer have the symbolic language for describing it. Now for John, no such problem exists for the spiritual young man or woman who he's talking about. They're to be awake to the devil's reality. So how will the devil try to sabotage you in early adulthood? as a Christian, principally by temptation. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything but temptation. It's like this, the love of Christ is is drawing you upwards, but there's always a but. I can want to be saintly, but frankly, I also want some of the experiences that sinners have. I don't want to miss out on anything happening in the world. I don't want to forsake the applause of others. I don't want to give up my creature comforts. There's a wrestle. And to overcome the evil one, you have to be alert to the subtlety of his ways. Eugene Peterson speaks of how the devil offers every temptation disguised as a suggestion for improvement. He also says his usual mode of temptation is not to an obvious evil, but to an apparent good. Are you taking refuge in an apparent good at the moment while the enemy is actually binding you up? John says we've got to lean on Jesus. He defeated the devil on the cross. He overcame. And so as we lean on him, we overcome now. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And yet despite Jesus' victory, we are still vulnerable to the enemy because we live before the time of Jesus' final return when he's going to throw down Satan forever. And so Paul in Ephesians 6 joins with John here and says to us, take your stand, stand your ground, stand firm, resist, 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 That's what being a spiritual young adult is all about. Within your halls, within your workplaces, within your families, within your communities, when you gather here, in every little act of good that you do in those places, you stand firm. You stand strong. You resist the evil one and you welcome in more of the kingdom of heaven. What do we need in this phase? Well, We need to know the biblical story that we live in. In the words of my colleague Simon, we need to know that the lamb wins. We need to know the power in the name of Jesus. And we need to look out for and defend each other. Remember those Roman shields that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that block enemy attack? It's because they're locked together. So we're to cover each other's backs in prayer, and then the angel of the Lord encamps around us. But even now, Jesus isn't finished with our growth. He could leave us there, but He wants us to grow further. And yet, you might not grow further. You could stop dead at this place, you might remain vulnerable to Satan's whispers from the shadows it's been said satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh he leaves lies in your heart and then you can fall prey to temptations like sex and money and power and in midlife the temptations just become subtler pride and resentment and bitterness this spiritual age that john's talking about is meant to be about overcoming these things but you can become overcome by them. And also we can linger too long in this stage because we resist becoming a spiritual father or mother. We shirk the role. Perhaps we harbour persistent negative images of God or, or we prefer to remain dependent. We resist maturing into spiritual fatherhood or motherhood. The thing is, it's easier to remain a prodigal It's easier to remain an elder brother. And then there were just contradictions in all of this. I mean, how can I perhaps be inching just a little closer to spiritual fatherhood in terms of, say, something like kindness and yet be a spiritual toddler having a tantrum when it comes to patience? But I can We need to grow in new trust of God in this phase, in God as father and God as mother. In those immortal words of spiritual wisdom, we need to get over ourselves because it's time to grow up fully. Are you prone to lies or discouragements that might be stunting your growth? Come to the altar tonight and receive Prayer. Jesus wants you to grow. But if we're continually drawn by the love of Jesus, then we mature to become this third age spiritual fathers and mothers, growing in the love of Jesus, who John says is the one who is true and brings eternal life. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Now it takes time to arrive at this stage. You can't leapfrog over the forgiveness of God from the first stage. You can't leap over Jesus' victory over the devil on the cross. A father or mother in the faith who hasn't properly progressed through those first two stages, they're going to be an imperfect and a feeble spiritual parent. But now John goes on and he goes on to talk about fathers who know him who is from the beginning. What does that mean? Well, think back to the start of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. The one who is from the beginning is the son of God, the logos, Jesus, eternally present. And when we know him, It's the same verb for to know that John is using, but it's now got another resonance. It means to know someone intimately. And when I know somebody intimately like my wife, their potential to transform me radically increases. Knowing Jesus who is from the beginning and who will be at the end, knowing him personally, knowing him intimately, It does this, it leads you like an arrow straight to the heart of God the Father. That's the bullseye. And in the journey of that arrow, Jesus grows you into a spiritual mother or father. Drawn by the love of Jesus, you become a spiritual parent at last, which means you're able to welcome home the lost, You can respond with compassion to people. You can bless others out of a heart of overflowing. You can be a resting place for the spiritually weary. You can become a maker of disciples caught up in Jesus' mission. A Baptist minister, Douglas Brown, tells how as a boy, he knew the great Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon's ministry was really as a spiritual father, who changed the life of many, many people. And these are the words of Douglas Brown about this great, great man. Mr. Spurgeon was a great man who had a great power with men because he had a big Jesus Christ. He lost himself in Jesus. And in some wonderful way, that big Christ seemed to catch up his little servant and invest him with spiritual greatness. As a spiritual father or mother, you've got to lose yourself in Jesus. And in a big Jesus, not a shrunk-wrapped Jesus, a Jesus human and divine, the Logos, the eternal one, who, who brought creation into being and stepped down into our earth to bring salvation, and who was then taken up to heaven and who is going to return in a blaze of glory with trumpets sounding. What do we need in this third stage of spiritual life? Well, we need to give ourselves entirely to this relationship. We need to find those whom we can spiritually parent and love and bless. If you want to mature to this level, this is a week's worth of heavy reflection and prayer this is my conclusion if you want to progress to this level of being a spiritual mother or father this is the secret you father you mother that's it you give yourself away for other people that's what John's saying And then thirdly, we need to live in the light of eternity. We need to know that this relationship with Jesus is not just for this life, it's going to go on and on and on. St. Paul writes to the entirety of the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, these words, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers Guardians and teachers are plenty, Paul's saying. Spiritual fathers and mothers are very few. And our church needs spiritual mothers and fathers. Our culture needs spiritual mothers and fathers. Our nation needs spiritual mothers and fathers. You've got to know the goal you were made for to know the end from the beginning, and that's to become a spiritual father or mother drawn by the love of Jesus, just as the sun draws that sunflower up into the fullest expression of its being. And this is where John reached later in life. He he just couldn't help but reveal the father heart, the mother heart of God if the band would like to come up. A few years ago, I I sat for about an hour with the Mother Superior uh, from Mother Teresa's order in a a place in Macedonia where she and her nuns were ministering to to ex-prostitutes. And uh, she just radiated love, this woman, probably, I guess, in her late 70s. And we all know such people probably, kind of ordinary saints. Had she once needed to know God's forgiveness the very first time? Of course she had. Had she had struggles and temptations that she'd had to overcome in her life? Of course she had. But early each morning, for years, she'd intentionally sat in the presence of Jesus over decades. And in the process, she'd been gradually transformed by the love of Jesus. And she'd acted that out and she'd grown into becoming a spiritual mother to many. And this is the journey that John calls each of us on. He says, grow up in Christ. Never cease from growing and live into the fullness of the father heart and mother heart of God. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of the one who is from the beginning. Amen.